Well, again, for those, maybe if you came in late today, I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all of our moms at Agape. And uh, thank you that all of you are here uh, this morning to worship with us. I, I want to give a reminder. We started talking about this last week, but kind of the way that we're doing this series is we're going to spend most of our teaching time in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, which really focus on the value of wisdom. And we want to read together as a church, chapters 10 through 31, that are the wise sayings, probably what you think of when you hear the word proverb. We will, at the end of this series, kind of cover some of those in collections in some individual sermons, but for the most part, we're going to read those. So it's two chapters a week. Last week was chapter 10 and chapter 11, and so hopefully some of you were able to engage engage in those. This week, we're going to be reading chapter 12, chapter 13. And my encouragement last week was to break those down into maybe about 10 Proverbs a day, to just really read, pray, ponder, ask God to help you understand how to apply those to your life, just kind of break them up throughout the week. If you didn't read last week, this is not one of those things where it's like, well, I missed getting started, now I'm behind. Just pick up where you are. The Proverbs do tend to flow, but they're not dependent upon uh, a current of thought the way maybe some of the New Testament letters are. So you can just pick up in chapter 12 this week and keep going. One last thing I'll mention is we are trying to produce some resources for you as we go through Proverbs. Sam has written several uh, articles that are on our website that have to do with the first few chapters of Proverbs. And I'm attempting to record some new episodes of our podcast that cover the wise sayings. So if you go to the app under media or you go to our website, you can find uh, two podcast episodes from this week that just cover chapter 10 and chapter 11 of Proverbs. And I hope to, Lord willing, keep those going as we read these things together. I have in my notes where I have a heading. It says, Prayer for Help. And... That's really just for me uh, and and maybe to lead us in prayer, but something kind of interesting happened this week, so I'm going to start the sermon off today in a little bit of an odd way, I guess. I had two separate conversations with two separate people in our church this week in which I was sharing something that I was deeply struggling with, and in both of those situations, the response was, hmm, Something along the lines of, hmm, you know, I don't think anybody really knows you struggle. As a matter of fact, the the second person I was had the conversation with said to me, I thought you always had it together. And I've been pondering that um, a little bit, and I've never thought it was very healthy for uh, a pastor to get up and, and always make things about him. Because when you do that, then it's not about Jesus. But based on those conversations, I thought I probably needed to say to you, if you haven't heard me say that in a while, I don't have it all together. In my natural form, in who I am, in David McConnell, I am probably the most insecure person that you will ever meet in your life. I half the time don't think I know what I'm doing. And the other half of the time when I do think I know what I'm doing, usually it turns out that I don't. So um, I have bad weeks. I had a bad week this week. 
probably not any worse than some of you had. And so I say all of that to just say we're needy people, all of us. Every single one of us in this room are desperate for Jesus every day, every day. So I'm going to vocalize a prayer for help, but I'm going to give about 30 seconds of silence, and here's what I would like for you to do. If you're willing to bow your heads, I would ask you to use that 30 seconds to confess what you feel your greatest needs are to Christ and ask him to help you. Father, I don't know what people just prayed if they did, but I am thankful that you do, that you know our needs. God, for anyone in this room who was just able to say, God, I don't even know what I need, help me. I think that's probably a very authentic prayer, maybe the best we could pray, because your word says that we can't even understand our own hearts. But God, as we have confessed things to you, as we have shared those things, and even the things we didn't understand or didn't know to share with you, God, please help us. God, we use that word rely. It's not just about branding or a graphic or a service. God, I feel like it is really the, the core need that we have to rely on Christ. And I need that. Every leader in this church needs that. And our congregation, all of us who call this place home or who visit, we need Christ. So please open our eyes to our need and help us. Even today, God, I pray for your help in preaching. I pray for your power in preaching. And I also pray for the power to hear well, that we would learn as the word is being talked about and as we point to Christ, and that you would strengthen and help our souls and meet all of our needs according to your abundant riches of glory. Do miracles in us, God, today. Bring people to faith if they don't know you. Bring people back from their wandering if they're far from you. Or strengthen those, God, who are in Christ but struggling. We love you. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I entitled today's message, The Transformative Power of Wisdom. What we're doing really every week going through Proverbs is just kind of pointing at wisdom, its value, and its need. And today I hope that you see the power of the wisdom of God and what it can do in our lives when we receive it. I want to start with this life truth. If you're a note taker and you have one of our handouts, then you could fill these blanks in, in this life truth. The harsh reality, the difficult reality, is that brokenness and corruption exist inside of every person, including me, as in the person that's writing this. 
But the beautiful promise is that God's healing and transformative wisdom is available to all who desire, who desire it enough to seek it. That's really what I hope we can talk about today and and really be brought home to us is that every one of us, we are broken in some way. We even are corrupt in other ways. But the promise of God in Proverbs and throughout His Word is that He provides to us that which can heal us and help us. And throughout Proverbs, it's called wisdom. And the wisdom of God is transformative. The key verse that I want to point out today is verse 23 in what Kevin read. And it's really kind of a command in the midst of these words on wisdom. Keep your heart. That word keep can also mean guard. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. If you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, if you knew, if you had intel that someone tonight was going to try to break into your home, you would not go home, eat dinner, and go to sleep and just hope everything turned out okay. If you knew someone was going to break into your car in your driveway and try to steal something of yours, you would not just say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, you know, just forget about it or I'll just replace it. In that knowledge, you would have vigilance. You would stay awake and you would take measures to protect that which you hold dear and valuable. And really what the Bible has unfolded for us is we have this intel that we have an enemy, we have a world around us that is a danger to us spiritually, and yes, that enemy and that world is trying to harm us. And Solomon is saying that harm is aimed at our heart. So you must guard it with all vigilance. You must stay awake and you must take the measures that you need to take in order to protect it. The same as you would your physical home or your physical material goods that you thought were under threat. The heart, of course, is the core of your body. That your heart, physical heart, pumps life into all of your extremities and your organs and what keeps you alive. Well, the Bible, when the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about it in a sense of not just the physical heart, but it refers to your heart as that inner person. Your your thoughts, your emotions, your moral discernment, that inner person, that inner working of your life that gives life to who you are. Everything about you comes from what's in you. You don't act randomly. You don't think randomly. You don't react randomly. Everything comes from what is in us, from our heart. If you have a Bible and you want to turn over for a moment to Luke 6. Let me show you how Jesus presents this in Luke 6. And I always take the opportunity to say that if you do not have a copy of God's Word, we would love to gift you one today. And if you know of someone who 
is in need of God's word that you would like to give that to them as a gift, let us know and we would love to provide one of those Bibles to you so that you could provide it to them. But in Luke 6, Jesus is teaching in verse 43 through 45. And he says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. I'll pause and just say, remember, fruit is what our life produces. It's our good works, our deeds, our character. And Jesus is saying, essentially, a bad person doesn't produce good deeds, not the kind of deeds that are pleasing to God. And a good, uh, a good person doesn't produce bad deeds. A bad person doesn't produce good deeds. Each tree, each person will be known ultimately by what they do. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. When Jesus says treasure, that word treasure is a storehouse. It's a treasury. It's the place where you would store your precious things. And what Jesus is saying is your heart is your storehouse. It's where you keep that which you find to be valuable. And Jesus is saying if that treasury, if what you keep in your heart is evil, your life will produce evil. If what you keep in your heart is good, your life ultimately will produce good. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the body acts and reacts. And the point I'm driving home to you is that everything about you comes from what is in you. Everything about you comes from what is in you. The way Solomon put this in, back in 423, is he says, your heart, out of it flows the springs of your life. Your heart is the source of the spring that waters your life. Your heart is the source of everything that you do. The problem that you and I have is that we are not born with neutral hearts. We're not born with good hearts that become corrupted. We're not born with neutral hearts that will lean one way or the other. What the Bible unfolds for us is that our hearts are naturally polluted. If you think of it like a spring of water, that spring is naturally corrupt. It's naturally polluted. It is naturally not good to give life to us. In the passage that Sam read this morning on the front of your handout, Ephesians 4, in verse 22, the exhortation in Ephesians is to put off your old self. He's talking to the church. And Paul writes and he says, put off your old self because that belongs to your former manner of life and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. That word corrupt means morally ruined, polluted water. That's what God is exhorting us through Paul. When you come to Christ, put aside your old life because that old life belongs to 
who you used to be and who you used to be as a person that had deceitful desires. And you were corrupt because of those things. So put that aside. David, Job, when they wrote about the heart of man, they tried to trace back where this moral corruption had come from, and both of them ended at the same place, their birth. They said, from the very beginning of my life, I've had a corrupt heart. That is true of all of us in this room. And what happens is not only are we born with a heart that is morally corrupt because of the sin of man, but we're also born into a world that is morally corrupt, that's ruled by sin. And this world and the environment that we are raised in can help to serve, to take advantage of what is broken in us, what is corrupt in us, and can ruin us even further. It can cause that pain, that brokenness to increase. And the reason I had you write in your life truth, the reason that I chose those words for you to write inside of every person and inside of me is this brokenness and corruption is because sometimes we struggle with one of those two ideas. For some of us, it is a struggle to believe that our hearts are actually ruined and broken. For some of us, that's a difficult thing to really grasp. We know, a lot of us, that we're not perfect, but we also think we have it together, have it together better than most people do. So we tend to look at the world through a lens of everyone around us or a lot of people around us and a lot of people in our culture, they are morally broken, morally corrupt, but we don't always view ourselves that way. And if we leave ourselves in that place where we never realize that the brokenness and corruptedness also belongs to us, we will eventually become prideful and we will become callous. Because we will look at the world and think, they need to fix themselves. They need to do better. They need to stop being so evil. We get prideful. We forget that that corruption exists within us. At least it did before Christ. For some of us, our struggle is the opposite. Our struggle is that it is really hard to believe that we're not the only people who struggle with hurt and the effects of sin, our own and others. We, when that's us, we tend to we magnify our faults. We magnify what we're dealing with. We, we're aware of our sin. We're aware of what's been done to us. We're aware of that brokenness inside of us and our deep, seated thoughts, we're aware of those things, and we become convinced we're the only people that struggle that way. And if you stay in that spot, you will find yourself in a life of shame. And eventually, you might even find yourself in bitterness because you start thinking, why can't I have it together the way everyone else does? 
I'm the only one that struggles with this. I'm the only one that's hurt. Why can't my life be like theirs? Because we fail to realize every person around us is broken in some way. They're hurting in some way. There is nothing that you're dealing with not common to man. So I think it's important for us to realize as hard of a reality as it is, as hard as it is to talk about the fact that we're all broken, we're all corrupt in some way, we all have wrong desires, as hard as that is, it's a truth we need to embrace. It's true for us, it's true for everyone around us. In your handout, I wrote this for you to fill in. Wisdom cries out to all, as in all people. Wisdom is available to all, and wisdom is needed by all. The cry of wisdom goes out to everyone. It is available to anyone who will receive it, and it is desperately needed by all of us. And here's why. Because not a single person in this room can do anything to change their heart. If you have a polluted spring, you cannot make it clean. There's nothing you can do about it. You can develop new habits. You can try to create new disciplines in your life. You can even go to church and religion will teach you that. Just do different things. Obey the laws and it'll all be okay. But it will never actually solve the problem because the problem of our heart, what ultimately directs our life is something that we can't fix. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah talked about this. In Jeremiah 17, 9, he made this observation, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and it's incurable. Who can understand it? A guy named Warren Wiersbe uh, it's a commentator on the Bible and a pastor. When he wrote about Jeremiah 17, 9, his comment was, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. If you dive down deep into every problem that you face, ultimately you will find there to be a heart issue in you and in others. And Jeremiah says, your heart, is more deceitful than anything else in your life. It will even deceive you. It's really not possible for you to completely understand what's going on in your heart. You might can catch some glimpses of it, and God may reveal some things as you pursue Him, but ultimately, you're not even the best judge of your own heart. That's why Jeremiah immediately follows that up in verse 10 in chapter 17 by saying, only God can search the heart of man. Only God can really know us, and therefore, only God can actually cure us. I know we're bouncing around a lot, but I just kind of want to show you how this all weaves together. So back in Ephesians 4, in that first reading, again, look at how God presents this through Paul in verse 18. When he's talking about people before they are in Christ, he says they are darkened in their understanding. Imagine like blinders, like a dark sheet over someone's head or, or a mask over their eyes, and that's how their understanding of what's really happening in the world is. They're darkened in that. 
They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to all types of sinful practice. That ignorance that is mentioned there, that they are darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is in them, that ignorance is not a a mere lack of knowledge. It is a willful blindness that can cause disordered desires. It's when we don't actually try to seek the truth out. We live by what we feel, and our, des- our desires are all disordered. They're all out of whack, and we end up giving ourselves to all types of sinfulness. And ultimately, our hearts are hardened toward God. Solomon uses very similar language in chapter 4 when he says that the way of the wicked is deep darkness in verse 19. They don't even know what they stumble over. I wanted to highlight this for us because I see it in the text. When you think about our heart and keeping your heart with vigilance, if we're going to guard our heart, we have to really understand the danger it's in. We have to understand what our heart is susceptible to, and it's susceptible to a lot because at its nature, it's already corrupt and it's already broken. And for many of us in this room, this world has caused it to become more broken and even more corrupt. And there's been times in our lives where we've been willfully ignorant of God and his laws, and that has put us even into a deeper tailspin. And we're going to get to the hope of wisdom in just a moment. But I want to highlight how the Bible puts this, that evil ultimately comes from this ignorance in our hearts. And I wanted to highlight to you that you deal with that, but so does every other person. In the last week, 10 days, or something like that, the issue of abortion has really been brought back into our purview For some of us, it's never really lost or left our purview, but it's certainly been highlighted in the last couple of weeks. And I'm sure that you know why that is, as there have been signs that potentially potentially the law in this country could change in a different direction to where abortion goes from being illegal to legal. And so as that has been talked about and that's been Did I say that? I said it opposite. Thank you, Nick. Uh, Illegal to legal. Thank you. Um, It is legal now. Yes. It is legal now. It's talking about being changed to being illegal. Yes. I've got it. Sam was not helping very much there. But anyway, I'm assuming everyone knew what I meant, okay? And I have to assume that a lot. All right. We can have fun, if nothing else. I think we should rejoice when the laws of man move toward the laws of God's justice. I think that is a cause of rejoicing. We should be excited about that. And the laws 
of God require his people to take care of the needy. The laws of God require his people to work for justice and to help the helpless. And it must be said as a church that that cannot be a one-issue thing. We are called to help those who are marginalized in their poverty or because they're foreigners to our land, because they are in a place where they are vulnerable. We are called to help those people. And we are called to fight for justice for those who are helpless, such as children. And I do believe that abortion ultimately is the death, the murder of children. So I think we should pray. We should do good works of justice. We should pray for our government. We should pray that our government would line themselves up with God. And we should understand that if there are times where blessings come and our laws move somewhat toward the laws of God, that there will be a lot of rhetoric of those who oppose God's justice. That rhetoric will increase. But one thing that I think we need to know as a church and remember is that that rhetoric is coming from a place of ignorance. It is the same ignorance we lived in before we came to Christ. We may not have reached the same level of corruption that some people have reached, but church, that is only because God intervened in our life with His grace before we got to that point. Without His grace... The places of corruption that we would have reached know no bounds. And those of us who've really pondered the brokenness in our heart realize that. That it is only the restraint and the power of the Holy Spirit that keeps us from incredible places of corruption and brokenness. And we need to know that. Proverbs says there are times where we didn't answer foolishness, and there are times where we don't need to answer it. But whether you feel in a moment to respond to someone who opposes God and opposes his justice, I think you must do so in a way in which you show that you understand all people ultimately are broken and need God's wisdom. Some people have even made a choice to abort a child, and they are in desperate need of God's grace to bring them out of a place perhaps of shame and guilt and to bring them to a place of healing. And we need to remember that. That should inform how we respond. We read this week in those wise sayings, that those who capture souls are wise. So I think as a church, we should speak to the culture with the intent of being a redeeming agent for Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Any move toward God's justice should be celebrated. 
It should be. I will say to you boldly, it is not biblically an issue of choice. It is an issue of lining ourselves up with what God says. Choice becomes a God for us because we want to be self-governing people. And the Bible is about allowing our hearts to become governed by Jesus. So we must be bold about that. But I also want to say, more rhetoric is not going to change anyone. Mocking and belittling those who are gravely wrong and in danger is something that should be left to God. If he chooses to do that in his judgment and his wrath, that is up to him. But as for us and the people of God, knowing that brokenness and corruption exist inside of every person, even me, we should know there's one cure and one cure only, and that's heart change. And it is only the wisdom of God that has the power to change a heart. So speak to the culture and pray for the culture understanding that we're all in the same place, in the desperate need of the grace of Jesus. Back in Proverbs 4, if you look at verse 22, Solomon says, talking about this need that we have for wisdom. He says, they are life. He's talking about the words of wisdom. They are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. That's the transformative power of wisdom. That it is life to those who find it and it's healing to all of their flesh Wisdom is able to heal brokenness. Wisdom is able to transform the corruption of your heart and in every way that it's impacted your life, your flesh. Because the, in the kingdom of God, wisdom is more than just the ability to make good choices. It is that, but it is far more than that. Wisdom of God comes to us by the means of words. That's why Proverbs, we've been... Hearing this, Proverbs says, grow in knowledge, learn the words, grow in understanding, learn the insight of what those words mean, and then grow in wisdom, learn how to apply it better. But what we also see is that those words are not mere words. They are the power of God. They actually make a way of faith in us. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, the Word of Christ. So when God's Word is heard, it creates in us, it enables in us faith, which allows us to call out to the person of wisdom who is Jesus. And we call out to be saved. And Jesus reconciles us to His Father by means of forgiveness of our sins because of His work on the cross where He died in our place. And then Jesus, for all he is forgiven, he sends his Holy Spirit, his holy and wise Spirit who lives in us and transforms us. And his Holy Spirit becomes healing to our flesh, to all of our brokenness, to all of our shame, to all of our guilt, to all of our corrupted nature. And the Spirit of God shapes us into the likeness of Christ. 
To put it in Solomon's words, he purifies the spring, that water that gives us life. Wisdom is needed by all because the wisdom of God is the only thing that can change your heart. It's the only thing that can heal the brokenness. So how do we do what Solomon has said? How do we guard our heart with vigilance, knowing that only the wisdom of God that comes to us through his word can actually transform our heart, and only the wisdom of God is hope for a world of corruption? How do we guard our heart? Three things in your worship guide that I see in Proverbs 4. First of all, we guard our heart by hearing and believing. Hear and believe. We guard our heart by hearing and believing. I didn't have Kevin read all of Proverbs 4, but if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to show you a few passages that came before what he read. And in chapter 4, starting off right away, Solomon writes, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts or good commands. The beginning of guarding your heart is to believe that God is for your good and that he will give you life. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And then the writer of Hebrews describes what faith is. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The Bible actually says you can't please God unless you believe in him and that he will reward you if you seek him, that he will do good to you. In order to guard your heart, you have to believe that God is for your good. He is going to say things to you at times that you don't like. His word is going to challenge you in ways you don't want to be challenged. The world is going to call it into question. And guarding your heart starts with constantly hearing what God has said and grabbing onto it with faith. Verse 13 in Hebrews 4, excuse me, in Proverbs 4 says, Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. It's a one-time thing that you must do. Hear the call of God and answer, and it is a lifetime of days in which you must hear God and believe Him over and over and over and over again. So we must hear and believe. Secondly, we must hear and remember. We must hear and remember Look at verse 5. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget. That's the command there. Do not forget. Or going back to verse 13 again. Keep hold of instruction and don't let go. So you need to hear and believe and you also need to work in such a way that you do not forget what God has said. Part of guarding your heart is going back to his word over and over and over again. I had a conversation with somebody in the church a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about fresh revelation from God, fresh insight from God. And I I don't know many believers who don't desire that. Some churches have built their entire denomination on that. And, And the friend I was talking to, he said, you know, his 
He had a family member that kind of what they said is, yeah, I know what God's word said, but I want to know what God is saying today. What is his fresh word for us today? And listen, I am someone who still believes God speaks in revelation and prophecy. I believe that. But church, what he has already said is what keeps you alive. What he has already written The ordinary, the thing that you've read a hundred times, that you've heard preached a hundred times, that's what keeps you alive. We spent, I don't know, three years in the Sermon on the Mount or something like that, not quite that long. We could go back at the end of this series and we could do the Sermon on the Mount again and we would all learn and benefit from it if we did. Because what he has written is what keeps us alive. So look at, look at what Solomon said in verse 20 and 21 that Kevin read. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Don't let the word of God escape from your sight. Incline your ear to what it says. Most of us... I say most of us. A lot of us are going to get up in the morning and we're going to go to work or we're going to labor somehow and we will not question doing that. And if someone was to say, well, why are you doing that? Why are you going to work? We're going to say, because I have to. I've got to live. I've got to make money. I've got to be able to feed my family. Solomon says, you and I need, as desperately as we need to go to work and earn a physical living, we need to not let the word of God escape from our sight. And it, and the reality is, I have, I do this, we all do this in which we think the, I've got to do this, and so sometimes I don't do this other thing that's really good. I've gotta go to work, and I've gotta accomplish things, so I don't really have time to do the thing that I know is good, which is to study and read God's Word. And Solomon says, no, you must do that to guard your heart. You must, as Josh often says, steal away time out of your day. We must. Because that is part of guarding our heart. And then finally, we must hear and repent. We should hear and believe. we got to hear the word of God and fight for belief. We must hear his word. We have to remember it. We have to go back to it over and over again. And we must hear and repent. So go back to Proverbs 4, 5 again. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away. Don't turn away. He says later in verse 14, don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Every day of our lives, when we're pondering the word of God, when we're keeping the word of God before us, we should be seeing places where our life just doesn't line up with what pleases God. And our hearts, we, God shows us our hearts are not where they need to be. And he shows us that so that we would confess it and repent. And in repenting, we're constantly turning back to God. And we need to do that our entire life until the day we see Jesus and all sin and all deception and all corruption, and all brokenness is finally removed from us. Until that day, we confess and repent to keep ourselves in line with God's Word. 
We need each other in this. We need each other's help. I said this earlier, but Proverbs teaches those who capture souls are wise. The way James put that is the one who would go after a sinner in their wandering and bring them back saves them from desperate ruin. We have to be careful that we don't become religious police always eager to point out where someone is doing something wrong, but we do have a responsibility to one another to love one another well and to help each other stay on a path. That's why community is so important. Look at verse 24 through 27. Solomon says, Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Man, Proverbs says so much about our tongue and what we say. Says so much about that. Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight before you. I think there of how the Bible says, don't put your hand to the plow and then look back on your old way of life. Look to Christ, as Sam had us sing this morning, and keep your eyes there. Ponder the path of your feet. And every day we should be asking, thinking about, God, how am I walking? How am I living? Maybe asking others in our lives to help us. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. We guard our heart always by hearing God's word. We guard our heart by believing it. We guard our heart by putting ourselves in places to remember it. We guard our heart by repenting. We will never grow in affection for God and holiness without God's Word. Because God has designed His wisdom to transform our life. And it comes to us by hearing. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come back to lead us in worship. We're going to sing together. And I want, as we do that, to give us the opportunity to pray together. To pray for one another or to just respond in some way to what God is saying to us this morning. If He has spoken to you through the Word, if He has spoken to you in some way through Proverbs, that's a miracle. Embrace that. I want to ask those who are prayer partners today, those who are going to be praying for people, if, if to come over here to my left. If there is anything at all that we can pray for you about today, anything at all, Please come and let someone pray for you. Sometimes that is a need that we have. We just need to hear someone. We need to say out loud what we need. Someone that we can trust and we need to hear someone praying for us. I'm not going to stretch this out. I just want to exhort you. God is able. We prayed at the beginning of this sermon that he would help us. I trust that he has. So would you respond to whatever God is saying to you? Whatever He's shown you, would you respond in some way? Through praise, through prayer, through confession? If you just know you need to respond or you don't know what to do, just come over and stand next to me and we'll talk. I always want to say, 
If the Lord is dealing with you in your relationship with Christ and you know it is not where it needs to be, please, please, don't leave here today without talking to someone about that. You can come and talk to me. And if needed, I'll get your contact information and we'll talk at another time. But if Christ is speaking to you, don't let that moment go by without responding. So Father, I ask, as we open this sermon praying for help, we close it praising you that you have given us help. I trust that you have. I trust you have answered. I trust that you know our needs. And I trust now, God, that you are able to help us to walk the path that you have called us to walk. I pray that every word that is from you will remain. I pray, God, every word that I have said that I fumbled around with that wasn't from you, that you would cause people to forget them. But let your word and what was from your spirit remain in our ears. Lead us now, God, in how to respond rightly to you. To hear and believe. Hear and remember. Hear and repent. Help us, God. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.